when you confront death at age 22, everything changes. It got me thinking about what I wanted to do before I actually die, because life is unpredictable. Can you relate? I'm Kiki Kelly, and this is my story. My friend Amy Hallberg thought I should share some of my stories with you. She'll be joining me here. Some are hard, some are funny, and some are just unbelievable. But they're all true. So here we are. Season 2, Episode 2. Tales from an Inadvertent Bucket List Champ. What are we talking about? Well, okay, so we're talking about how very different one year can be from the next. Literally overnight, I can go from punching a clock and not being able to find a place to live to working my dream job, actually. Okay, and this might be the moment to to, to mention that you're wearing a crown today as we record this. Not a tiara, not a princess, but a crown. You are the queen. Yes, because this symbolizes the difference between the years 1997 and 1998 for me, in which I went from a job where every day my supervisor got told me I was the worst person ever, the worst worker ever, and trouble, and making $8.06 an hour, and being roofied, and having, like, just... Ugh, I don't know. Bad no, year. no hope, right? No right. hope. Having ye, oh ye of little hope to literally overnight, like, oh hey, come and join Tech Studio, the premier IBM workplace in the Big Blue Zoo. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so I went from like not liking Rochester to thinking, oh, this is a really great place. I get it now because all the people here are people that I really, really like. And you're working on what? For those of us who do not know what's going on in the okay. inner workings of IBM, well, what's this going is exciting too because it's the beginning of the internet. I mean, not the very, very beginning. I was in grad school when I started using Google, when at the very, very start of it. But by the time I got to IBM, it was still what 1998, so it was really, really new. And all of a sudden, I'm on this premier team. And it's a huge learning curve, but I'm so excited to have something really interesting to learn. And I don't have to work with people so much. And the few people that I work with are all super smart. And my boss, my bosses are both very, very, very sweet and kind and everything is flexible. It's probably... Because they have faith in you. They hired well and they have faith that you're going to do good work. Well, and the whole company at that time. So here's the funny part. So IBM was known earlier prior to when I got there as like this very staid conservative place. And, and they're like super flexible. You could, you could arrive at 11 AM as long as you got your work done. I mean, you could stay till 3 AM. It didn't really matter. It's you and a machine. It's not you and a classroom or you and a bunch of patients. So what machine are we talking about here? AS400. So IBM specializes in databases, especially mid-level databases that carry the world's financial information. And it's so sturdy that even like, there was an earthquake in Japan and the AS400s were saved. So, But wow. they're also incredibly non-intuitive. <laughs> so, so basically, I'm using 
any language skills I have and basically turning it into, I'm translating programmeries. So I'm talking to these people who think in a completely different way from me and probably most end users. Well, maybe not all end users because it's, it's a business platform, but I'm trying to write e-business 101, 201, 301. Actually, 101 was already written, but I was finishing it because the person who wrote it had left. So e-business 101 means... Okay, so the big popular thing is to finally get your company online. And remember when the websites were really clunky mm-hmm. and dorky? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, that's that was like e-business, right? Electronic business. We want to get your business online. And so e-business 101 is like the really basics. Like how do you use an AS400 to make your company and your data and database work? So the kinds of things that now are so basic. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, the HTML I taught myself ending with rendering hello world on the green screen was so exciting. Well, now we've gotten to the point where there was a program called Alaire Home Site. It's a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. So you're still building the websites from scratch, but I mean, you don't have automatic spreadsheets and a lot of, I mean, JavaScript was the cool language at the time that tells Mm -hmm. you anything. So yeah, I was doing basic frontward facing programming, but mostly working with the backend programmers to learn the inner workings of the AS400 and how to teach people who were buying the AS400 how to get their company up and running on these basic websites. And I was building websites. And it sounds like also you you were talking about how you got in good with those programmers. (laughs) As a teacher, I learned very quickly, like, you just, you figure out the librarian, the secretary, those people are the ones that know everything and they run, they run the levers of any kind of machinery, any kind of company, right? So, In a company like IBM, I mean, granted, of course, your managers and management and team leaders are incredibly important, right? But the guys that are down in the locked room with like huge servers, (laughs) like that's a magical place and not everyone gets to go in there. But I had cookies, homemade cookies and brownies. So you're not talking cookies like cookies on a computer. You're talking like actual cookies to eat. No, at that time, like cookies, I think were really, really new. And you didn't like no one told you they were using cookies. Uh. <laughs> so no, these are real actual baked goods because these are all generally young men who are just basically eating soup out of a can. And so when you have a homemade treat, they're like, oh, you want to come in and play around with an AS400? Sure. Because you're bringing them brownies right so i I go in and i'm like because i want to i want to learn as much as i can as quickly as i can because it's a huge learning curve all the other tech writers there have gone through serious programs in learning how to communicate technically so you're in good with these guys Yeah, making friends. I especially loved meeting the translation people and using the different keyboards, like the kanji keyboard. I mean, I just thought it was fascinating because I love languages and I I saw programming languages as just another language to learn. And also it was such a relief because, you know, I still hadn't really recovered from the trauma of seeing the stabbing in the school. 
it wasn't that long ago that, you know, I had lived at St. Mary's Hospital and it was time. It was time for me to just stare at a computer screen and chew my nicotine gum. And I was so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I was so happy. Hmm. And you told me that Mr. Montana came back for a little bit there. Yeah, before I got the job, when I was losing a little bit of hope and thinking nothing would ever change. He calls me up out of nowhere. I don't know how he, he he would find me like at my grandma's or this time he found me at the Mayo and he was like, Hey, I'm coming through town. You know, he was always everywhere. And I'm like, Oh, okay, great. You know, so let's meet up at the Barnes and Noble where my brother's the manager and saw him. And, and by now, like he had done Japanese exchange teaching and he told me this story. It was so sweet. So I had thought about doing jet as well. But instead, I did teach for America. But he did. Jet is a Japanese English teacher. Right. Yep. Yeah. But there was someone named Christina Kelly, and it's a very common name, but there was someone on the roster. And in those days, of course, pre-internet. So he goes to some far distant island in Japan to find this woman named Christina Kelly, hoping it was me. And so he tracks me down in uh, Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic and we meet up at the Barnes and Noble and by now he's got long hair and he's got an eyebrow piercing and <laughs> like in the meantime I've been working at Mayo with these doctors and had just gotten more more conservative yeah and a little more rigid and yeah so it was a little bit of a mismatch like it wasn't the same thing as at the factory so you were um, really becoming accustomed to the Rochester life I mean yeah I still I still thought he was great, but I just didn't see how it would work because he didn't really have, he hadn't landed yet anywhere. I had landed. I had put down some roots. I had a real job with a real salary and I bought my first new car mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm working with all these people who have families and which perhaps people who have families, not peoples, <laughs> <laughs> which perhaps explains the appeal of your Java instructor. Yeah, my JavaScript instructor. Um so so yeah, right away my one of my team leaders, the one that interviewed me that had gone to St. Olaf, sent me to represent our group to a JavaScript class to learn it and then because I had my teaching background teach it to the tech studio group, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, which was great, yeah. you know, I'm like, wow, I get to sit in a classroom and learn JavaScript. That's just, I mean, this is You're like, being paid to go to school. It's an amazing job and you can take coffee breaks and, you know, there's no 20 minute timer and there's no like supervisor who's getting mad at you. It's just wonderful. So mm-hmm. it's like, go to this class and I don't know about anyone else in the class, but I thought the instructor was so funny. He had hidden all these little Easter eggs in his presentation and I was like snickering and laughing. And of course he noticed that. So after the class, he invited me to go with the the big group of kind of young people to go eat lunch because it was Taco Tuesday and that Mm -hmm. was a big deal at IBM. (laughs) And so we go and sit at this long cafeteria table eating our tacos. He's sitting across from me and everything he said sounded like Stephen Wright. Like it was super dry and Mm -hmm. so funny and I could not stop laughing. And then all of a sudden we noticed that everyone else had gone and it was just the two of us. Right. And that's kind of how things started. I mean, that's how you met. Let's make this really clear. That's how you met your future ex-husband. Correct. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) No spoilers here, but it's going to last for a little bit. 11 years. Yeah. So talk us through this. Okay. So 
I thought he was 30 years old because his office was right across from my team leader's office. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't there when I first was there because he was out on the West Coast. He had come from Intel and he was out on the West Coast, uh, you know, doing something for IBM. He was was an up-and-comer. I thought he was 30. He was actually 24, but he didn't really tell me that or disabuse me of that notion. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, and I'm 28. And... You know, you can't help but notice people's offices and how it it reflects them. And and most programmers have like a lot of um, Star Wars memorabilia and things like that. (laughs) Well, this guy had Apple posters. We're at IBM. Apple posters. And he had the funniest little sticky pad, you know, on his computer that said Lou. And Lou Gerstner had been the CEO of IBM at the time. It said Lou in just his extension as if he was going to call anytime. I just thought he was funny. He was hilarious, right? And he had all these pictures from little, like, drawings. And it turned out later that it was his team leader's little girls that had drawn him pictures because he was really popular with kids and animals. And I would discover that later at a party that, you know, and such different, talk about a different like parties, right? All of a sudden, these were family people. These were people with kids and dogs, and he used to cat sit it, and like everything was wholesome, you know? So that's all good, but let's talk about why you actually ended up moving in with him. Okay, yeah. Because had this not happened, yeah, it, it, it might have gone a very different direction. Right, exactly. Okay, so I had an office mate, and these were not big offices. So my office mate was sending me emails across the room, and they were very detailed about basically how God brought us together so that we should be together for eternity and it was like creepy and so I kept forwarding every email to upper management and then because the JavaScript teacher started coming by my office and just hanging out and you know asking riddles and just joking around right right just being friends well this upset my office mate who shall be called the troll okay Troll didn't like this. And so he started sending me emails that were very, what's the word? Like, like, yes, threatening. Like he had really ill intentions. Like maybe this, this, this usurper, this JavaScript teacher all of a sudden, you know, had spoiled God's plan. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what if his life is in danger? And I, so finally my, the management, I'm they had been keeping track and everything, but they had a meeting and they were like, what do you want to do about this? You know, like we don't feel comfortable with him, but how are you going to feel? Because we're going to escort him out with security. He's going to be fired, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know where you live. Right. And I lived in a ground floor apartment. It was a nice apartment with a male nurse who worked the night shift. So I was there all alone at night in a ground floor apartment. And the troll, sure enough, after he was fired, he was seen outside my apartment. I called the, you know, called the police and told a JavaScript teacher. So future ex-husband. So this, after only four months of dating... We moved in together. I moved into his apartment, which was in on the second floor. Yeah. You tell everybody the <laughs> apartment number. This should have been a warning. Uh, I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's F13, like Friday the 13th. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> and the other thing is he had had this female uh, roommate before that he got along so well with, but she was dating someone who was in the Peace Corps in Africa. 
and they had gone to the same program and they just had everything in common. And I was like, are you sure, you know, don't you think you should have dated her? Like, don't, you know, but they were both really shy. So you're looking at this and it kind of makes sense. And even then it sounds like it kind of doesn't. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like he wasn't quite the right person for me. But, but know, everything conspired to bring you together. Well, so I had it. But the weird thing is, after our first date, I, I mean, I have it in my journal. Like, I'm one who has kept track of my dreams, and I trust my gut, and I write in my journal. I have journals and journals and journals that go back to when I was six or seven. And the night after our date, I wrote, and it wasn't like butterfly feelings or anything. It was just like, I'm going to marry this guy. I just kind of knew it. So it was a strange realization. It's not an excited realization. Right. It was very, you know what? We worked really well together as a creative team. Like he worked on the front end stuff with the programming and user interface design and graphic design. And I did all the writing. So we worked really well on projects together. And, you know, I, I honestly, my heart wasn't really in operation then because I was so tired. I had been so worn out and tired and I wanted something that was easy, you know? And yeah. And my head, in my head, it made sense because I didn't think I was ever going to have kids. And here we worked in high tech together, you know? So I feel bad because he met someone that wasn't entirely who I had been or who I would become. He met me at a certain stage where I also probably seemed like the perfect fit. But you talked about your sister's wedding. Your sister was planning a wedding at this time. And you talked about your feelings as she was doing this. It was a very nice wedding. Okay, so there's two things to mention. Okay, as soon as I moved into apartment F13 with my future ex-husband, I received a huge envelope, like a business-sized envelope that that was really thick with a big old letter from Mr. Montana. And I had a choice to make. And I was just like, uh, you know, like I'm a very loyal person. And I was like, uh, I have to give this relationship a chance. And I, you know, I just, so I threw the letter away. And I, I, I so we don't know what Mr. Montana <laughs> said know, to this day. I don't know what he said. So I was like, you know, I'm going to, you know, shit or get off the pot as my grandpa says. Right. You know? Like, or I'd say to grandpa, how romantic. I know. I was not particularly romantic back then. And, you know, grandpa would say, I would say, like, grandpa, why do you do your crosswords and pen? And he goes, you got to commit to something. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to commit to something. And because because I think that happens to a lot of people. Like, I was 28 years old, right? And you're thinking, okay, I've got a good job. I'm I'm in a nice town. I have a nice, a really great boyfriend. You know, sometimes it's where you are and who you're with at the time. So I made a commitment. And then shortly after, my sister, who had, okay, so she had met her husband at St. Olaf, their spring term senior year, very, very cute story. And, and they would drive halfway between, he was from Chicago, Evanston, and, and she, you know, was in Rochester. And so they would meet up at the Wisconsin Dells or, or Madison or whatever, right in the middle in Wisconsin. They kept this up for a while. And then when I was in Teach for America out in North Carolina, he drove all the way out there to visit her when she was visiting me and stayed for weeks. So I knew it was the real deal. They were just clearly meant to be. So they're getting married. I'm her maid of honor. And for whatever reason, she moved in with me 
and uh you know what's his name my living partner Um, (laughs) (laughs) that guy with a list of a thousand things to do and for her wedding yeah because it was it was really i mean it was the most beautiful wedding you can imagine i mean there were string like a string quartet of people that she knew from saint olive and the the dresses were lovely like that you could hardly ever say like the brides i still have my bridesmaids dress they looked beautiful on everyone she was beaming you know but a thousand things to do and i was like It occurred to me that I was like, I would never want to do that. I would never want to go through that much work for a wedding. And then I was just like, oh, but I'm just not romantic or whatever. But it bothered me. And so I ended up breaking up with him because I was like, I wouldn't do this. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he was much more aggressive when I first met him than he would prove to be later. Wherever I turned, there he was. <laughs> you know, he was asking it on dates. He seemed really, really confident, right? And you're still living with him at this point. Well, be- even before I started living with him. I mean, everything about him was decisive. And he told me right away, I'm going to Silicon Valley. And I'd like you to come with me. And I immediately thought, well, I'm not qualified. I need to go and get a master's degree. So I started thinking about that and asking the other tech writers like what programs they had gone to. And most of them had gone to University of Washington, Seattle, or uh, New Mexico State University, Las Cruces. Those were the two really premier tech writing programs at the time. So that was kind of in the back of my head. But, you know, I was still pretty new there. So it's not like I was going to just up and leave. But he, he was just constantly there. And so... When I tried to break up with him during my sister's wedding, he just acted like I didn't break up with him. (laughs) He showed up at the rehearsal dinner. He showed up at the rehearsal dinner. Plus, my mom really liked him. And so he just showed up. And and honestly, I, I didn't really have the energy or the wherewithal or even I didn't trust my own gut or heart at that time. So this is somebody who's going places, he knows what he wants, and maybe it's you. Right. And, and, and I'm like, well, you know what? Okay. So (laughs) plus I I didn't have time to move out of the apartment and he would write me these nice notes and bring me my favorite foods and flowers. And, you know, so the breakup was, was, didn't stick clearly. You know, he came to the wedding, we didn't dance or anything, but he was there Mm. and Then after the wedding, I kind of forgot about it. And we just agreed that the breakup was kind of stupid. And and so, but we didn't even talk about marriage for four years. And in those four years, I went to New Mexico State at Las Cruces for a year and got my two-year master's degree in one year. The plans you made together were not really plans to have a family together. You made plans for a career together. Right, because he knew that I had been so ill. I mean, right away, of course, you know, I had to disclose I can't have children. So he knew that. He was okay with that. Um, We would just be this power couple who worked on teams together. And we did really, really well in the work environment. Um, And later that would prove true for like rehabbing houses, building a cabin. I mean, we did really well on projects. It's just that the agreement that you made wasn't how things turned out. Correct. It was based on a faulty premise that neither of us could know about. So those kind of things just happen. It's not like, I don't think anyone meant anyone any harm or... (sighs) And in the meantime, 
probably because you knew him, you went places that maybe you wouldn't have thought to go. You went to graduate school. You went to Well, I, I, I had wanted to go to graduate school, but I didn't know what I wanted to go to graduate school for until him and working and not just him, but, but working at that job, I was like, oh, because I had been selected to go to a conference called Common and he was also there. And so that was kind of our first big serious date where we, we drove down to Carmel by the sea and had dinner in a French restaurant and went and looked at some art. And, you know, I just enjoyed spending time with him. He was funny and smart. So that kind of clinched it where I was like, you know what? I really liked the business world. I liked, it was, it was, you know, once the learning curve was catapulted because <laughs> it was a really big learning curve, but I was just like, you know what? I can see myself doing this as my career. Well, just like I had seen myself doing teaching as my career. I mean, I just go all in. <laughs> mm. I go all in. Yeah, I, I. I absolutely loved grad school, except that I did it in such an accelerated way that I would petition the dean every single term so that I could take the an overload of courses. So it's really, really busy because I was doing internship with a literacy center. I was doing an internship with the dean of the college, um, building their new website and then training the staff to maintain that website. Plus I was doing graduate level composition rhetoric and, you know, business. I was teaching business classes and comp ret and. So essentially <laughs> you can take the teacher out of the classroom, the student out of the classroom, but basically what you're doing is you're taking that same hungry learner that went to North Carolina, that went to Carleton. Basically, you're still the same person who's just hungry to learn. I love school and I loved it so much. Plus, I had such a huge, I mean, honestly, it wasn't fair to the other students. I mean, because I had already worked for a year doing the things that we were learning. So I got a 4.0 and it was not that hard to get because I had already done those things. Like, I already had the professional chops. And so I ended up getting a 4.0 and um, the professors were like, you know, we'd love for you to um, think about coming back for a PhD later. We realized that you have, op you know, you have a lot of choices that you have to make. And I'd been offered like a bigger job back at Rochester IBM, as well as an IBM Silicon Valley Labs job in San Jose, as well as to interview with Google as their first writer. And so I was just like, oh my gosh. And of course, you know, I'm a very loyal person and, and I didn't want to leave Rochester IBM in a bad place. And there was this wonderful classmate of mine who I thought was fantastic. And his wife was from the Midwest or whatever. And so I backfilled my position. He went and got my old position. And then my future ex-husband and I determined, well, while I was at grad school, he developed an incredibly rare, horrifying disease that my mom, the doctor, diagnosed. Yeah. Can we back up a second? Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing that's fascinating to me. You're at graduate school because you and he have made plans together. But when you listen to what you've just told me, he's not really factoring in here. I mean, you're talking about graduate school and you're talking about all these things you're doing at school. And I mean, if people could see you here right now, you are so excited to talk about it. He's not really factoring into it. 
So here's the thing. If he hadn't gotten really, really sick, that would have been the natural time for us to break up. But I got all these calls from his teammates saying that he was doing really poorly. And he called every night for like an hour, which was really time I didn't have. And I felt so guilty. But I had recently been so sick myself. It was the last thing I could do to someone is say, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to break up with you. Oh, by the way, you've got this horrifying illness where you've got double vision and your brain, you know, your circulatory system is, is inflamed and it's really rare. Oh, I'm going to break up with you. Like that, that just isn't who I am. But it's also not really fair to him looking back. Well, so you had an invisible illness. And that clouded your picture of a lot of things, I would imagine. I mean, now he has an invisible illness, right? Right. What are the chances? What are the odds? What are the odds? Plus, I still had in my journal that this was the guy I was going to marry. And so I came back from my birthday, the Harborview Cafe, which is a really cool place on Lake Pepin that our team had gone on previously. And he had gone out to the jetty and arranged stones in a circle. And we get to the end of the jetty and I was like, well, that's weird. Look at the, the there's, a cir- there's a circle of stones, right? And he, he was like, oh yeah, let's go, let's go inside of it and sit on it or whatever. And we did. And then he reaches into his pocket and in his usual humorous fashion, he pulls out like certs and some tissue. And <laughs> I was like, oh, what, what was I thinking? And then he goes into his other pocket knowing that he's already fooled me, right? And takes out the ring. And so we we were engaged and I went back to finish off the grad school engaged. Hmm. So then it was just no question at all. Then it was just a matter of which job would I accept and which job would he get? Thank you for listening to this episode of Tales from a Bucket List Champ. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends. New to us this season, our sound editor is the fabulous Kat Schoner. Our story editor and producer is me, Amy Hallberg, and our writer and executive producer is Kiki Kelly. We'll be back next time with Episode 3, Early Google. Until then, what's one item on your bucket list?